cards. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Dana. I found a bizarre Baghdad. That's what you sound like, <laughs> Dana. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. I'd, I'd really appreciate it, Joey, if you started referring to me as the talent, actually. <laughs> Never in a million years, Matt. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. I too would appreciate it if you'd refer to Matt as the talent. Never in a billion years, Dana. <laughs> that's that's and two I'm Joey Schultz. <laughs> and I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC is a fantastic deck building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks, and here on EDHRECcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. Ladies and gents, we have another guest on today. Please welcome the man who always orders the supersize burger and fries to eat in his combo corner, the author of the Combo Corner series, Patrick Cipolla. Hello! Um, I would be appreciative if you referred to me as the, the good looks of the podcast. So, I mean, I don't mind who, who's more talented so long as I have the good looks, I suppose. See, now that we can do. Yeah. <laughs> so you may remember, dear listeners, that we had Nate Burgess and Dean Guti on as guests in earlier shows. Now we've got Patrick on. He is also a member of the Commander Time podcast. Yeah, that, that's right. And I'm, <laughs> right after this, I'm going to go record an, another episode of that, too. Awesome. We're really happy to have you on so that we can discuss the Combo Corner series that you write on EDH Rec. It's definitely been a lot of fun to read. Oh, I'm glad. So before we get into, you know, talking about the Combo Corners, Dana, I think we've got some stuff to discuss about some really awesome cards you just found, huh? Right, um, sure. Yeah, since it just happened like in the last 10 or 15 minutes. Well, go on and tell us about yeah, it, yes, Mr. Bizarre of Baghdad. I, I, I mean, I don't want to go into too many detail. Well, actually, the, the one I will tell you first, I didn't probably go into much detail, was this, the last collection I bought was from a guy that actually, like, while we were talking, he was bleeding from the head and didn't notice. Excuse me? Uh, what? <laughs> and he was, super huh? twi- he was super twitchy, too, the whole time. No, he had an active, like, small gash in his forehead that was, like, at currently dripping blood and he um, he didn't seem to notice did you, you realize offer? that you're confessing to beating up someone to steal <laughs> their magic cards on a podcast I, I, i'm just fairly certain he was on something the whole time did you and offer him ca- a tissue at least to, i like, didn't clean I himself didn't, up because it was too strange and then he kept telling me like he was in this really disgusting apartment but he kept telling me random stories like yeah i've got a brand new bmw but you know it's not here because my friend's borrowing it right now so he kept throwing out like random things that clearly weren't true the whole time as well. Oh, so, it's the, it's that so, guy. so I was mostly looking just to get out of there without getting stabbed. The moral of the story is that Dana bought a collection and it had good cards in it, but <laughs> there were some other details that were apparently very terrifying. Well, well, well that wasn't the guy that had the, the collection. There's another one I bought today that I, I just like 15 minutes ago as I was ripping through it, found a bizarre of Baghdad in the collection. So... Um, that so was, you know, that's the story I wanted to hear. <laughs> I didn't realize not, there would be blood from people's heads right, happening. That was not from the open, actively weeping head wound. So, so, so 
you may have these kinds of stories from buying magic cards, uh, but I have these kinds of stories from being a pizza delivery driver for three years. Um, oh, I bet that's like that's like magic it, buying collections times ten. I would guess. Yeah, it's like every 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 night at like oh some of those. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we got to rein this podcast back in so that we can just discuss some magic cards. Maybe. Hey, right, speaking I think of you magic, also had a story cards. to share with us. Yes, I got to play magic this weekend, and it was fun. And like, I, in your brand is this going to be your brand new star that you found that you're going to start frequenting? Um, probably. I mean, it, it was super nice. Uh, I played for like five, six hours. It was awesome. So sh- shout out to Chris Combs on Twitter. Um, I don't remember your Twitter handle, Chris. So, I mean, we'll, we'll tweet you out anyways. Um, We're but professionals. Yeah, so, yeah, very. Uh, but yeah, I went down to uh, J&J's card shop, hobby shop, I believe it was, down in the south part of Colorado Springs and had a really good time. Played probably five or six games played one five-player game that was just atrocious because it took about two hours to finish, and by the end of it, everybody's like, okay, can somebody just win? Like, somebody get it over with. So I, I uh, found out that the Locust God plus Perforos is really good. <laughs> so I happened to, to, to put the game away with my Shu Yun Tokens deck. But man, like, I I had a blast. I got to play Angry Omnath. I got to play Valduck. I got to play all sorts of different stuff and played... All sorts of different power levels. You know, we played some super casual games. Then we played a little more focused at the, the you know, marathon game. But it was super fun that I actually got to go out and play Magic and meet some some cool folks and uh, had a good time. So J&J's, if you guys are ever in the Colorado Springs area, go to there. I will probably be there again. That's really awesome. I'm glad to hear that you're finding a new community to play in in your new location. Yeah, definitely. Because it had been awesome. a while for you, right? You had gone like three or four weeks at least i think without being able to play it it had been a, a solid month it was actually uh the last week of june was the last time that i played because my my buddies at metagames unlimited in springfield missouri it's a great shop you should check that one out as well we played a bunch of legacy we actually got four rounds of legacy in because we had enough people showing up because uh, a couple of my buddies were just like hey Matt's leaving. Let's all play Legacy and send him off the right way. And so a bunch of people showed up, and uh, yeah, that was the last time I got to play until this past Saturday. Nice. Well, I'm glad to hear that there's a, a happy ending and a happy beginning of new stuff. I don't know. I'm making it sound a lot cheesier than it really is, but that's a really nice no, thing. No, no, no. Cheese it up. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> One last thing before we get started. Patrick, I think it'd be nice if our listeners got to know you a little better, so maybe you can tell us about the types of decks that you play. Sure. Um, I so we, I had a kind of a, a, a deeper discussion about uh, decks with uh, DJ from Jumbo Commander, and he 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 asked who has dedicated combo decks, and then I asked him define combo decks, and when he did, I realized that I think all of my decks could be considered combo <laughs> decks. So, and they aren't, they aren't like the, the tier one food chain prosh decks or whatever, but you know, they're, they're still combo decks. They are, they are looking to go infinite or just win the game out of nowhere. I mean, that is, that is kind of the ideal. So yeah, I mean, that, that, that's really where, where it comes from. I mean, I have a Brea deck, a, uh, angry Bobo deck, uh, a, uh, Ganti deck and 
Oh yeah, a Marin Marin Rat Colony deck. <laughs> See, now that's the one that I'm excited to discuss. And in fact, I think that you did discuss it on an episode of Dana's other podcast, CMDR Central. That's right. I sure did. Dana, can you tell us a little bit more about that episode? Um, sure. Well, well, the, the kind of the the sad part about it was we had been trying to get Patrick on for a while because he he doesn't live that far from me. I mean, it's like he's an hour and a half ish away or so, but. So I've gotten to play with him a few times in person, and he actually came over here last fall in to Eau Claire um, from Minneapolis and played. So we had wanted to do an episode about his Rats deck, because it's a, it's a super cool deck. Like It's Marin, for one, which is a very common commander, but you don't see Marin doing the really specific things with, with Roneless Rats like Patrick was doing. So I thought it would was, be a fun show. We'd have him on as a guest. And we just never got a chance to until this spring. And then, like, literally right as we, like, scheduled it is when Rat Colony got released or spoiled. Which Patrick right. was in the process. He's like, oh, you know, it's it's for what he's doing. It's a much better creature. So he he's in the process of pushing that over literally as we had him on the show to talk about his frontless rats deck. It's when he's changing it over to Colony of Rats. Yeah. How's that shift gone, Patrick? Uh, pretty well. Um, I've learned that uh, I'll, some of the major problems uh, that I faced with uh, Relentless Rats are, are, are very not relevant to, uh, to Rat Colony. It, turn, it, it turns like I, I, I did plan on, you know, the, the lowering the mana curve and being able to play out more rats. And so I put in a little bit more draw to kind of balance that out, but I apparently did not put enough draw into it. So I need to find more room for for more draw in the deck in order to actually keep it keep the whole thing going. That's probably the biggest thing I've learned from Vegas. Actually, is is exactly how much draw the the deck need. Nice. Well, I'm definitely terrified to ever play against it. Um. Be afraid on turns four and turns eighty, because uh, <laughs> uh, usually, usually it, it comes out fast, and then somebody board wipes, and then I have nothing for a while, and then I play something like Patriarch's Bidding after putting the Concord Crossroads out, and then I just win off of that spot. But it takes, you know, I have to actually get the Patriarch's Bidding out, so it takes a little while to get there. So. Awesome. Well, it definitely sounds like a pretty fascinating deck, and frankly, so do the other ones that you mentioned. So, if you don't mind us just sort of jumping into the interview section, you mentioned that you have a whole lot of combo decks, and is that what inspired you to write the Combo Corner series? Uh, well, it was it was a couple of things. I was in a job that I did not like at the time. Uh, well, I take that back. I liked it just fine. Uh, it just was not for me, and my heart was definitely not in it. And uh, I saw a post that Jason did uh, on Reddit saying, hey, we're looking for writers. Does anybody have an idea? And I was like, I, I think about magic a lot. I think <laughs> I, I, I think it about quite a lot. And and I have a habit of just coming up with this re like really strange ideas to do for like build a deck around and then unleashing it on my friends. And then they just tell me to stop. <laughs> I mean, a perfect example of, of that kind of deck that like that can be channeled better, uh, like into an article or something, is my uh, Death and Taxes article that was about uh, inspiring sanctuary. Uh, 
where you can turn off some tax effects and some draw effects and uh, old templating on artifacts where you could just turn them off by tapping them. That is, that is an example of a deck I would have built in person and realized I would have hated playing it all the time, but it's not, it's something that would have been in my head for too long for, you know, it's just one of those ideas that would just keep kind of going until, uh, oh, I have all hundred cards here sitting and then, and then all of a sudden you're playing it at your next FNM and, and nobody wants to to play against it anymore and you don't want to play it anymore because it's not super fun but it's at least interesting so one of the things especially about combos or combo decks is that they can be particularly intricate so from my understanding at least one of the things that you try to do in your series is to take take apart the specific combos to make them a little easier for people to grok yeah i i feel like a a large problem uh that combo faces is that a lot of people don't really understand the rules well enough to understand where the uh the how the combos are working and how to actually fight them if you are somebody who still hates combos after learning about them it it takes careful planning and um reaction times and just kind of knowing when is the right time to actually stop a combo in order to make them stop working so so patrick one thing you know that I like to do is build a lot of synergistic decks and add those you know on top of each other with cards that just kind of build upon each other. How do you differentiate yourself between combo decks and synergy decks? With, so this that it, it's a really interesting uh, question. Um, I think it's a question that I went into much deeper on an episode of uh, uh, Commander Time, uh, where I yeah, talk- plug in his own podcast. Yeah, I know, well. I know. <laughs> oh. Very well done. It, it 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 it's an episode I, I was particularly proud of, at least in terms of conception. It where I wanted to uh, where the main thesis was kind of setting aggro versus uh, control, and how how they intersect with card advantage. But more specifically, what I find uh, way more interesting is how combo actually in, interacts with aggro and um, and control. Um, if you imagine them, it, like if you know uh, math uh, like decently well, you know number line, right? And then if you know a little bit more math, you know that you know the 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 concept of i and the square root of a negative one, I think it is, where you end up. And if you actually were to plot out i on a on a graph with a number line, it's actually ninety degrees to that. So I, I like to think that combo is the, the Y plane to an X aggro uh, control plane. Because it's, you've lost it, me. You, you've lost me. Yep. <laughs> to an English major like me, you've completely, I don't know what you're talking about, over my head. Okay. For somebody who majored in studies that never actually graduated like me, let's, let's yeah. <laughs> okay, so a, a better way to put this, you can have an aggro combo deck and you can have a control combo deck. And you can have a mid-range combo deck. It, a combo is a kind of a quality that a a, uh, a deck can have outside uh, that is not related to whether or not it is aggro or control. And I get to this meaning to define a combo deck over a high synergy deck is a question of how do you intend to finish the game? If your intention is to just value out with your high degree of synergy 
that's just a synergy deck. Whereas if you plan on comboing out, you know, you, you've got the two or three cards that are just going to kind of explode uh, in value really quick. That's a combo. So it's more about the way that the deck finishes than anything. That's that's yeah. how you would differentiate. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that you can sense. have... Yeah, and and the reason why I even brought up aggro and, and control is is simply because you can have high synergy aggro and control decks. They, they, they do not... No, one style or the other does not mean they are automatically excluded from uh, combo. Uh, it is something that I think that EDH players should at least entertain the idea of including in their decks, even if it isn't something they actively try to go for. That makes sense. And especially, I like the way that you delineate those two, because there are some decks where they're tutoring immediately for those combos to try and end the game as fast as possible, while there are other decks that are stalling and attempting to stabilize before they actually have a clear field within which to actually initiate that combo they know that they'll be safe when enacting it and there are also separately from that other decks that happen to have a combo as sort of like a, a fail safe in case the rest of the deck's synergies end up not quite getting there so there are definitely a lot of different styles and when just we say you know the word combo that's a, not enough nuance i guess so i like that you're delineating the different types of things that uh that people can play within that one description I mean, it's it's why I don't mind being called a combo player. I'm not I'm not a uh, like a super spike or anything like that. I'm I'm a pretty classic Johnny with a little bit of spike in there. It turns out that like when I go full on Johnny, I still want to win. So it's not I'm not all the way there. <laughs> it also really makes it uh, huge. Gotcha. well, like in some people really dislike, you know, combo is something that you hear people like I hate combo decks. Uh, and, and it's something that I myself probably say relatively frequently, but there's a really huge difference. Like the Joey pointed out the, the, the variance on what a combo is and having played against you, Patrick, your combo deck is definitely that kind where you have these combos built into your deck and obviously you want to get to those combos to win the game. But in order for you to get to that point, you're not aggressively tutoring, you know, with six different tutors in your deck, try to hit that combo piece or yours isn't that deck that's running nothing but individual pieces that happen to work in you know 15 or 20 different combos. You just happen to have combos that you will ideally eventually get to to win the game. And at that point, you know, if you're assembling a three or four piece combo on turn 10 or 11, like how can you? That's no different than dropping a crater hoof with seven creatures in play. That's fundamentally the same thing at that point, where it's no different between someone with a Cabal Coffer Toad and dropping a Torment of a Hailfire for, you know, 28, or someone doing Genesis Wave for, you know, 50. Like, at that point in the game, that combo is a radically different thing than it is when you're turn one trying to get a hold of your Mike Tri combo. And actually, I think that's a really good distinction right there, Dana, between what Matt asked, what is a synergy and what is a combo. Urborg and Cabal Coffers, that's an excellent synergy, but it doesn't necessarily win you the game. I mean, it is an excellent combination of cards for sure, but that is just excellent synergy between those two cards. Whereas Micaeus the Unhallowed and Triskelion, when those are both on the battlefield, you can instantly win the game. And like, that's the type of distinction that I think is important to draw. For me, I guess an important piece of what makes something a quote combo is that it goes infinite or instantly wins. 
another aspect to that is is actually alt, alternate uh, win condition decks are often. Oh, that's excellent too. Yeah, those are often considered combo decks as well. Although they don't, they usually are a triggered event, um, like at end of turn or beginning of upkeep or or things like that. So it isn't necessarily a uh, a instant win in that case. But the way I view it, if you allow the player to actually meet the conditions and let them get to that trigger, they certainly deserve to win. (laughs) Because that meant you weren't running enough interaction or you just did not stop them when you had a chance. Gotcha. Yeah, so... I've played a bunch... Well, having played with Patrick, you know, in a dozen different games between locally in Vegas and and what have you, when you lose to Patrick's combo deck, it's, it's for that reason you've lost because you didn't have the interaction or you weren't prepared for it. It wasn't a situation where, like, I don't know if fair is the right word, but they're absolutely fair combo decks. Like, I've played combo decks where I felt like, oh, that wasn't really magic, and I never feel that way having played against Patrick Patrick's deck. It's a situation where you have a chance, and if he goes off and wins the game, it's it's your fault. Yeah, if you have to survive an entire like round, you know, say you play a creature and it has to not have summoning sickness. If you get around the table and everybody had a chance to do something, I have zero problem losing to a deck like that. I build a lot of decks like that, anyways. But yeah, if you can interact and and you know, the game has to end eventually. Somebody has For to sure. win. Like you know, hate on Triumph of the Hordes, but it wins games and then you can shuffle up and play again. So like, I, I don't have any problem with people playing combo decks, however they want to finish. For me, it's also, I think that a lot of, I've, I've heard a lot of folks who are just like, Oh, he just instantly comboed nothing I could do about it. And one of the arguments that I think I hear most often when people say, Oh, well you should run interaction if you want to stop the combo player. Like, in many cases, they they are running the interaction, or there was only a very specific window in which that, like, you know, someone puts the Micaeus and then the Triskelion, and then they have two point five seconds to respond, or else they immediately lose. That's not a huge window to respond, and it's easy to not be prepared for those things. For me, I guess though, I, I what I would say to folks who especially don't like playing against a combo that just oh instantly the game is over and it feels super not fun to them. I would advocate that if, you know, everyone is agreeable uh, to sort of switch decks and let the person who doesn't like combos actually try piloting that deck. Because when I actually was in that position, when I didn't like combos, I'm like, oh, well, that was boring. The game just instantly was over and there was nothing I could do. Then I played that combo deck. I actually realized how intricate and difficult it was to pilot because it was one of those... I think it was an Azami deck in particular that I was playing. And as uh, Patrick mentioned, there's more of the control versus the aggro type of combo. In this particular case, it was a bit more of a control style where I had to wait very, very patiently with this Azami deck before I could actually find the opening to initiate that combo. And what no one could see was that I was actually playing a very careful game, not on my battlefield, but in my hand, weighing my resources there. And since they couldn't see the cards in my hand, to them it felt like it was out of nowhere. But to me, it felt like I'd been preparing and preparing and waiting and waiting and waiting until finally the one window to strike occurred. So that's an interesting, like, I just think that it would be useful for everyone to try and see things from across the table, see things from their opponent's seat, because combo can be a lot more difficult to pilot than everyone thinks. It looks when it instantly happens. It looks like, oh, well, that was easy. That was dumb. But for the person actually who, you know, pulled that together, it was actually a lot more complicated than everyone initially can realize. Well, it can be. It isn't always, though. Um, But yes, I see what you're saying. I think that there are definitely some situations where your combo deck is pulling off something very difficult. 
that isn't though necessarily always the case. I think there is, you know, it's not that challenging to tutor up, you know, one of the combo pieces when McKay is your commander and you're playing black with, you know, 14 tutors too. You just look around and say, oh, no one's playing blue or, oh, the blue player tapped out. I'm going to win now. Um, but I think that's a vast, that's like, that's also not most combo players. And I think people tend to kind of lump generically anyone who says I play combo into that group where they just assume, oh, you're playing combo. That means you're playing a combo. You're playing, you know, 14 tutors in a combo that is tied to your commander based around winning on turn three. And that's, that's just such a small minority of people that I think, you know, their combo gets lumped in with that unfairly pretty frequently. I think yeah. that's, yeah, that's very fair. I think it, yeah, just how it homogenizes the experience. Like if you're doing the exact same thing every game, I can see how that gets boring. Like I had a deck like that for a little bit and yeah, I, I got bored with it, took it apart. It just cause if I draw into the combo on turn, you know, 12, great, cool. The game can be over by then. Like if we're like just arms racing it out, like, there's a time and a place for all those types of decks, and just a lot of times, just not for me. And if your meta digs that, then they do, and that's that's also fine. Here's yeah. another. Here's a point that I, I I would like to point out. If you also just hate combos, play against it another three or four times, and then sure. count how many times they fizzle, and count how many times that if you had uh, saved your something spell. Because you because you've now played against the deck a couple times, you know when the combo is coming. You can you can say like, hey, this reality shift, I'm gonna hold on to it. Because I know he's gonna come around and he's gonna try to combo off all of a sudden, and I'm gonna have the answer for him this time. And you're gonna shut him down. And then he's just gonna kinda sit there and go, ah okay, I guess I have to wait for another six, seven turns before I'm able to do anything again. And by then you should be able to have uh at least like knocked him out of the game. It's it's a combo is something that is very experience driven, um, in terms of knowledge needed in to to combat. And that's another reason why a lot of players like playing combo is because you need a depth of knowledge in order to actually kind of figure out all the pieces and put them together so the 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 added depth of combo is is greatly needed in in magic as far as i'm concerned i really like that that's an excellent analysis patrick do you have any specific tips for using edhrec to find new cool combos um and so so what's really interesting is is seeing cards that uh on there it's essentially the synergy rating um, if you can find two cards with high synergies, whenever you click between them or something like that, oh, you're that is a really like that. There's there's something very strong there. It usually it usually is just like literally high synergy. You know, these these they're both kind of doing the same thing, like uh, Peer and Corpse Jack Menace. You know, you got to put more plus one plus one counters. That's a that's a really high synergy, and that isn't a combo, but there's at least something to look for there um and that's when you start scrolling around and you you do a couple more uh gatherers or scryfall searches to f- kind of find out what what's really go what what can really be in there um outside of that i i recommend reading every single magic card and then trying to memorize all of them that that seems to help <laughs> i do like so that it's a bold task uh, <laughs> definitely <laughs> 
at the very least as you're reading through them just make a like just make a list of of interesting ones that you that you come across and just see if you can find anything that that kind of pairs well you're a bit like a, a sommelier when you are a combo brewer I like that synergy uh, tip that you mentioned as well. And I can hear a lot of people asking, what is the synergy percentage? And just to let everyone know, that's one of those percentages that you'll frequently see beneath a card on EDH rec. You'll often see something like, oh, plus 19% synergy or, you know, plus 43% synergy, things like that. And effectively, what that means is that that is the average percentage above which that card shows up in this commander specific deck, as opposed to other decks in that same color combination. And that's a really nice way to see, oh, this card is more often played in this specific commander. It isn't necessarily anything to do with the quality of the card in particular. It just means that it shows up quite a lot more than other average cards in the same color combination of that commander's page that you're looking at. So that's a really great way to find cards that are specific to this commander that don't seem to be played in a whole bunch of other decks that could also run that card. and therefore could point you towards a lot of those cards that have, as Patrick mentioned, a lot of combo potential. I like that. Yeah, I mean, a perfect example would be uh, uh, what my first article was about, Revelark and uh, Karmic Guide. A lot of people considered them high high uh, synergy. Other people considered them a combo. But either way, if you're running one of them, chances are you're running the other. And that, and when you click between their two pages, that you can see that they have a high synergy with each other. Yep, exactly. Another tip that I kind of like using is just finding specific cards that I happen to know are show up already in a lot of combo decks. So even though I know like oh, there's a lot of clout around, for example, the card Paradox Engine, but I don't necessarily know which cards that combos with. So all that you have to do is once you know, if you know the name of a handful of cards that can be open-ended, that might be a good way to search as well. So if you click on the Paradox Engine page, then you can see a whole bunch of other cards that people are running with it. So once you've heard, oh, X combo exists, if you hear people's talking about Food Chain or something, definitely go looking around for cards like that, that people have uh, mentioned a whole lot, that seem to have a whole lot of cloud around them, and that seem particularly open-ended. That is another really great way to maybe find some synergies. They won't necessarily be as spelled out for you, but that's one of the fun parts about it as well. You know that there's one really big puzzle piece. The framework is Paradox Engine, and then you can use the EDHREC page to find all of these specific puzzle pieces that fit within it. Or read my article about Paradox Engine. <laughs> there's also that. That's why that Combo Corner series is there for sure. <laughs> well, and that, that's Look, a good point, though. Like some people, and Patrick would be an example, some people just have a faculty for finding combos and seeing those looking at a card, reading the text, and being able to find the combo in ways that maybe somebody else doesn't. Like, I don't have a brain for seeing that, whatever for whatever reason that is. When I look at cards, I'm just not finding, either because I'm not looking for it, for one, but my brain doesn't work in a way to see those puzzle pieces coming together. And someone like Patrick's does. So not only, you know, is it good to check the articles from people who are into combos, but, like, just, you know, hit them up on Twitter or see what they've written somewhere else or look at their decks that they've posted online. You can get a lot of suggestions from people that are good at that, and I think that's a really useful thing to do as well is, is look at the people that have that as a skill. So I definitely want to talk about some specific combos, but first we got to do the head-to-head -head segment where we each pick two cards that are sort of similar and have the others guess which one is more popular, either in general or in a very specific deck. Patrick, since you're a guest of honor, would you like to get us started on the head-to-head -head segment? Got it. All right, I got two artifacts for you, all right? First one, Planar Portal. Costs six 
generic mana, and it has six, tap, search your library for a card, and put that card into your hand, then shuffle your library. All right? The other one is Planar Bridge, a legendary artifact which has eight, tap, search your library for a permanent card, put that into the battlefield, then shuffle your library. Chose these because, you know what, these are classic combo cards that kind of like if you just need a generic tutor or for several different cards, these are great places to start looking if you have infinite mana already. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good comparison. One is six and six and it finds it to your hand, but the other one is, what was it, four and eight and it gets it into six play? Six and eight. Six and eight. Mm, definitely worth that extra premium cost, though. I'm going to have to go with the latter. I think recency bias is going to play a, a bit of an effect here. Plus, putting straight into the battlefield, I feel like that's a lot more powerful. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think in both factors, um, one, that's it's an available card that people have seen and are aware of, whereas the uh, is it Planar Portal, is that what the older one was? Yep, that's the first one. That's... I think might be old enough that some of you might just not even be aware it exists. And I think the ability to go straight into play is something that people, people love treating stuff in as well. So I, I would go with planar bridge myself. Yeah. I'm going to third, the planar bridge, just being able to kind of uncounterably cast it for two, I guess, if you want to look at it that way on just the difference in mana costs on activation, I think planar bridge. Yeah. It, it's legendary, but who cares? It's, an, it's a singleton format. So, yeah, let's go Planar Bridge. <laughs> so I, I just want to, I, just to poke, poke a little deeper, I mean, you guys don't care about searching for, you know, your sorceries or something and putting them in your hand. Do you care about your Ooh. cast triggers or anything like that? I mean, these are, these are important questions you need to be asking yourself. All right, that's a good point, actually. I did, sure. you know, forget about that. that. That last one can only get permanence and the other one can get you know spells that's that's a good distinction so are we right or are you trying did, to tell us that we're terrible plebs i didn't oh, no. forget about it i just don't care yeah no you guys you guys <laughs> you guys are 100 percent right um uh planar bridge yes. is in 4350 decks and planar portal is in 2400 decks when planar bridge was initially uh spoiled i was like oh my god it's planar portal all over again wait you get to put it into play oh my god like and, and i mean like <laughs> that is super cool it is a very cool card that i don't it probably deserves to see a little bit more play than it does but the activation is a little daunting but on the other hand it you know it's a colorless card that can go into any deck and it should probably see a little bit more play than it does. And it's also a source of, of card advantage, either one of them, really. It's repeatable, and you get to choose your carded card out of your deck and put it into your hand. I think it's something that maybe Boros should probably look at to do with their extra mana. It's another way to just gain that kind of incre in incremental advantage over your opponents is by having just beautiful card selection. Sweet deal. I like it a lot. I'm going to move on to my head-to-head -head now, and there are actually two cards that, Patrick, you did mention just earlier on the show. Your first article, as you mentioned, was an article about Karmic Guide and Reveil Arc. So that's going to be my head-to-head -head this week. Karmic Guide is a 5-mana 2-2 Angel Spirit with flying and protection from black, as well as the ability Echo for 5. You have to pay 5 mana on your next upkeep or else Karmic Guide dies. 
But fortunately, it gives you a lot of value because it says when Karma Guide enters the battlefield, you return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Meanwhile, Reveal Arc is a 5-mana 4-3 elemental, also with flying, and it says when it leaves the battlefield, you return up to two target creature cards with power 2 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, and you can also evoke it for 6-mana, so when it enters play, you immediately sacrifice it. Both of these 5-mana flying white creatures also revive creatures and can die pretty easily. Which one do you guys think is more popular overall? I know the answer, so don't start with me. <laughs> Man, I'm going to guess Karmic Guide. I think it's been in one of the Commander Precons. Um, so has Revealer. Has it? Okay. People like Angels. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just maybe more useful. You don't, It doesn't need to die to get the trigger, although I guess you can evoke Revealer Arc. But I'm going to guess Karmic Guide. It's easier. There's been a lot of printings. It's a popular creature type. So that's where I will go. But. I don't know if there's if that makes sense, if that's a good reason or not. <laughs> All right, one vote for Karmic Guide. Matt, what do you think? Uh, I just keep thinking of the stupid Carador-Protean-Hulk combo that uses both of them. So, uh, hey, we're doing a combo <laughs> corner episode, and you're calling the mere idea of combo stupid. I, no, on. I was calling that one stupid. Just because I, I've, I've been on the receiving end of it so many times. So I think I'm going to go with Karmic Guide. Man, I, I can't give you a good reason why. Just I, I have considered running Karmic Guide myself a little bit more. So I think that'll get the vote. But I, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me either way. Well, even if instinct is the only thing that you're operating off of, you are correct. Yep. Karmic Guide is currently showing up in 15,549 decks, whereas Reveal Arc is showing up in 10,592. So a difference of about 5,000 decks. I can, I can give you two good reasons. Why? Go ahead. All right. First good reason is that Karmic Guide is unbound in terms of what it re- can return, uh, whereas Reveal Arc is much more uh, uh, specific, where it has to be two power or less. So there's there's that. The second reason is uh, Karmic Guide has been around for a lot longer. I mean, a lot longer. Yeah, it was an Urza's yeah, block originally, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, it it has it has a long legacy uh, that has has brought it, and I think a lot of people just see Revel Arc and just kind of look at their, their curve and just go like, eh, it's not really getting me back much. It might get me back my mother of runes or something like that, but they don't really consider the, the, the entirety of being able to bring back karmic guide over and over again to get the rest of your board out. So it's, it, they're very close <laughs> though is, is certainly the, the, the truth. One thing that I think also kind of factors in is that uh, Karmic Guide is a power two or less creature, so it can be revived with Alesha Who Smiles at Death. That's a really great synergy there, and Alesha Who Smiles at Death is one of the most popular commanders of all time. In fact, I think she's currently sitting at number 10. Carador is also among the top 20 of the popular commanders, and he definitely sees a lot of play for both Karmic Guide and Revealark. But... I think that two power or less thing fits really well into Alesha's specific strategy and her significant popularity helps boost the numbers on Karma Guide a lot. Oh, yeah. Matt, what's your head-to-head this week? So my head-to-head, one is going to be a card that I got to play with a lot this weekend, and I kind of, oops, I win the game with it with uh, Angry Omnath. That card is Perilous Forays, 
which is an enchantment for three and two green. And it reads, pay one mana, one generic mana, excuse me, uh, sacrifice a creature, search your library for a land with a basic land type, and put it into play tapped, then shuffle your library. This is going to go up against a card that I wasn't playing, um, but also but is in the deck, in Evolutionary Leap, which is also an enchantment for one and a green. And it reads, pay one green, sacrifice a creature, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card. Put that card into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your on the bottom of your library in any order or in a random order. I'm sorry. Which do you guys think between these not free to activate sacrifice outlets uh, is played more in an Omnath deck specifically in any deck in any deck in any deck. Mm, gotcha. No, I was just happened to be playing it this weekend and uh, happened to get uh, about 20 angry Omnath death triggers off of uh Perilous forays, so. That sounds really gross. Amulet of Vigor is a hell of a card, guys. I, <laughs> I am going to go with Evolutionary Leap. Perilous forays is a great card, and it's disgusting in Omnath, but it's also one of those cards that's like 10 years old. It hasn't had a reprint, I don't believe. I remember when Omnath first came out, people started building decks. People were genuinely shocked that Perilous forays even existed as a card. So yeah, I think the recency bias is going to kick in here, too, and even as great as Perilous Forays is, I think Leap is going to take it just because it was a card people were cracking in packs two years ago versus Forays where, you know, a large chunk of the EDH community wasn't playing when it was last a card that existed. Yeah, you you are correct. It has not been reprinted since uh, original Ravnica. Patrick, what do you think? I can't make up my mind. Uh, uh, Evolutionary Leap is the second, right? Is the second one, yes. That's the one where you sack the creature, you have to pay a green, uh, and then you flip cards until you hit a creature and put it in your hand. Uh, I think Evolutionary Leap actually sees more play. I think I might jump on this bandwagon too, but go ahead with your reason. Yeah, it's it's cheaper, is the answer. It's two mana versus five, although it is a green to activate specifically. Green decks typically do not have a hard time activating green. Mm, that's a good point. Mike... My concern is just that Perilous Forays, I feel like, is a fantastic card in Angry Omnath, and his popularity alone might push that one ahead, whereas Evolutionary Leap, if people are using it for a more specific sacrifice outlet, it's probably index. I don't know, I'm drawing, maybe this is a bias of mine, but I'm drawing experience upon my Marin of Clan Neltoth, and I feel like in that deck I may have better sacrifice outlets already available, so Evolutionary Leap might lose the slot. So... I'm probably going to jump on the bandwagon and still say Evolutionary Leap, but it's it's a tough call for me. Matt, what's the answer? So, Perilous Forays shows up in 3,179 decks total. Evolutionary Leap, though, 7,198 decks. So, a good chunk more. Over double, actually, yeah. Um, but Evolutionary Leap does take it. I, I do agree with Patrick. I think just being two mana to get your uh, get your Sacrifice Outlet down early... I think is very helpful and then when you get to five mana um not all decks really care about getting that much further so i can see why perilous forays you're already at five mana why do you need to go to six when you you know you probably already have better ways to be doing that nice gotcha you're also not down a creature after evolutionary leap so you know that's always good news but yeah, you are up a cool land. cards <laughs> <laughs> So I was kind of curious, and I went looking on specifically the Angry Omnath Locus of Rage page, and 
Can you guys tell me whether Perilous Forays or Evolutionary Leap is more popular, specifically in an Omnath deck? I would assume Perilous Forays is. Yeah, Perilous Forays for sure. Like, it, it's just worlds better. Patrick? I have... Uh, I'm... Yeah, per maybe. <laughs> I don't. I don't actually know. I, I listen. My gruel deck is already angry Bobo combo. So it, we're, we're we're like, and he doesn't run a, angry angry Omnath. So I I don't know. This is out my outside of my expertise. <laughs> well, you guys are correct. Currently, evolutionary leap is showing up in thirty one percent of angry Omnath decks. But Perilous Forays is showing up in 56% of Angry Omnath decks. So definitely finds the, the spot a lot better in the Angry Omnath. Yeah, Angry Omnath, I mean, he's a top 10 all-time commander. I think he's kind of carrying that card at the moment. So, Absolutely. Dana, how about your head-to-head? All right, this one goes out to Reddit. Two of the most frequently maligned utility lands on Reddit would be Temple of the False God and Reliquary Tower. For different reasons, Temple of the False God being a land that doesn't do anything until you have five lands in play, so it's very often a dead draw early on. And Reliquary Tower, which lets you have a bigger hand size. And the argument there is usually if the seven cards in your hand aren't enough to win the game, you've got bigger problems than being able to hold more. So there, there, there are two cards that Reddit generally hates, but the average player who isn't on Reddit tends to kind of like them. So of those two lands, Temple of the False God, which can tap for two if you have five lands in play, or Reliquary Tower, which gives you an unlimited hand size, of the two, which is more popular? Reliquary Tower, not close. Windmill Slam. Yep, I agree with Jody. I, I think... I'm not even going to give reasoning. All right. I'm just going to state it. I mean, <laughs> I think, I yeah. I, I won't be surprised if Temple of the False God is, is correct, though. I'll, I, I'll be sad, but I, I won't be surprised. Yeah, Temple of False God's been in so much supplementary products, like, it's not even funny. Yeah, but Reliquary Tower, that infinite hand size, uh, I don't know, in some decks I can see, yeah, this actually doesn't do as much as people may think that it does in in certain decks, which is why probably it gets a lot of, uh, you know, flack on things like Reddit when people talk about it. It's certainly one of those cards that can trap people into thinking that it's better than it actually is. If you're not taking advantage of having a ton of cards in your hand, then it can actually end up just being a colorless land, and that's not great. But in the decks that can abuse it, it's a lot of abuse, so that's why I'm going with Reliquary Tower. I I think Reddit is half right, and they're half wrong. (laughs) I I think Temple of False God is a bad card and i think not just because i think reliquary tower is a great card and i'm glad it's getting reprinted so more people can have it but like you you, if you think about how many different content producers out there um i know josh and jimmy at command zone uh they're big proponents of saying don't play temple of false god you're playing it wrong i think that has a decent effect so i think temple of false god's overplayed terribly but i think it's not going to be played as much as reliquary tower that people say you should play well the um they're much closer than you would have thought one is at eighty six thousand um 761 decks and one is at 91 so they're within five thousand, which is a lot of decks but not when you're talking you know eighty six thousand and ninety one thousand. reliquary tower is more popular at ninety one thousand. Five thousand ahead of temple of false god okay good good although good. I, and I would wager in this particular case 
the amount of precons that contain Temple of the False God also kind of make that a closer match than it really is. Because I don't think Reliquary's ever been in one of the commander, commander precons, and Temple has been in... Every single been, one. In, in, I think it's every one, yeah. Yeah. Reliquary Tower has been in Commander 2016. I know that one. Okay. Um, I can't rename the deck, but I am... After you mentioned the numbers, I did go take a look at it, and uh, it does have the Commander 2016 symbol on it. So it has been in at least one. But yeah, Temple has been reprinted in like all of them. So Reddit, yeah, it's, it's that goes out to been you. All over. <laughs> Alrighty, let's move on now to talk about some of our favorite combos and some of our least favorite combos. Patrick, Mr. Combo Corner Connoisseur, do you want to get us started off with some awesome combos that you really enjoy either playing with or against? Um so pro- there's there's a fine decision paralysis. Yeah, okay, so so there's there's a fine line bet, beh, between favorite combos and favorite combos I play. There's like it, it's like appreciating a beautiful meal, but you know you, you, you really hate peas, even and it, it's just like it, there's peas everywhere. It's like I I understand that the peas are cooked beautifully. I just can't stand them, and I I have that problem quite often when building these decks and and honestly to say two of my favorite combos that i i personally would not be able to do is the ley lines and opalescence combos where you stack your deck full of opal uh, of ley lines so you can tur- it's a legacy deck more than it is an edh deck where so you can have just it's a an awesome of- legacy deck yeah it's it's hilarious <laughs> the goal is to mulligan until you have sarah's sanctum in hand and an opalescence and as many ley lines as you possibly can so that you have pre-game effects of putting the ley lines into play you play sarah's sanctum tap it for uh, i think at least five so you can play opalescence and then your ley lines because they were in play during your upkeep do not have summoning sickness <laughs> and become four fours or five yeah four fours and then they swing in for lethal on turn one it that's disgusting it's, <laughs> it, is a, it is a thing of beauty to see actually work does not mulligan well because you don't it's it, it's not dredge good it, it is because you need more than just bizarre in your hand you know the other thing that i i personally love but I could never really pilot or keep the attention required in order to do it is a no turn stack where your goal is to never take another turn ever again in the game. Oh, I know the ones you're talking about. Those are sick. Yeah, those are great. Like I, they require so much setup and, and, and like a lot of concentration to make sure you're not blown out at, at any point, because if you're blown out at any point, you're just out of the game. But if you can pull it off, I mean, more power to everybody. And they are, they are just like, it is phenomenal to see anybody pull that off. So walk us through it. I think I know it, but I'm a little hazy. You I have, have start no with idea such as... what's going on. You say no turns, and I'm just like, uh, I, you mean take all the turns, right? That's what Narsa no. does. no. No, it's totally bizarre. Uh, to my understanding, you start off with something such as a Grand Abolisher, which means people can't mess with you on your turn to make sure that you're safe and good to go. Then I want to say the next piece is something like a Chrono Savant, or maybe I'm messing it up, but it's basically something that says, skip your next turn, do X. 
and the X isn't really important. The point is that you're going to skip the next 80,000 gajillion billion of your turns. And then you cast Teferi's Protection. So until your next turn, and you've just skipped a whole ton of them, so you're not going to have one for a very long time, you don't exist and your life total can't change and no one can mess with you. So the rest of the game progresses while you sit in phase, and no matter what happens to anyone else, you don't exist and they're all inevitably going to mill out because you're taking the next million turns off. Uh, I think I'm, I'm naming it right, but basically it's something to that, yeah, of, that effect where you're skipping your turns instead of taking them. You're right. Uh, that is that is definitely the the passive way of going about it. There are also oh. <laughs> there are there are some really spicy things that you can do. Just just search for until your next turn sometime in like Scryfall or Gatherer and just see all the kinds of weird effects that you can do. Did you know that Goad says until your next turn your opponents must attack? So and they oh, can't attack up. you. Yeah, they can't attack you. And if you never have another turn. Those creatures will continue to have to attack every single time until they're dead. <laughs> um, another, like, or uh, there are cards that uh, say that, like, anything with a cumulative upkeep, the classic word that I can't say, but uh, you still get the effect, but if you don't have an upkeep, they you can't pay for them and they'll just be a static effect for you. So there's a lot of really weird things that kind of happen. Uh, when you don't have turns and if you can recreate the semblance of a turn and like start casting things you can do things like uh uh reign of gore i think it is where uh everybody loses half their life at the end at their end step or uh, no, havoc festival havoc i festival, think is that that's one. the one yeah so if you have havoc festival and you don't have an end step everybody else is losing their life at their end step so you know, there's lots of really fun things you can do if you don't have turns, but it takes a lot of work and a lot of careful planning to, to actually pull off. And that is not my actual play style as much as I want it to be. <laughs> Even so, that's really zany. I, I absolutely love those. So as for me, when it comes to combos, I'm actually personally a fan of the commanders that you don't realize are combos until it's too late. In particular, we've seen some commanders like a uh, Gave Guru of Spores, for example, who makes sapperlings and sacrifices sapperlings and stuff. But it turns out that he's actually not really just a, a sapperling maker or a token guy. He's actually a crazy combo machine because when you Cathar's Crusade and doubling season, you do you have infinite everything, everything. He just like it. He accidentally, oops, I comboed. And he didn't even necessarily mean to. Uh, another example might be Zakama, Primal Calamity, who when she enters the battlefield, she untaps all of your lands. So all you have to do is find a way to continually bounce her, such as with a uh, team or Sabertooth, and you can continually get more and more and more and more mana with which to use her abilities, which is just bonkers. Uh, a buddy of mine also built the Monogreen Selvala, and much too late we realized that she goes infinite really really easily when you put something like a uh, sword of the perrins which untaps her or an umbral mantle which untaps her so all you have to do is tap her for mana use that mana to untap her then tap her for mana all these commanders they're just ones that we initially saw and we're like oh that's a neat effect this is cool but then oops during the game we realized that they were totally busted and those are actually the kind of things that i like 
I can see an argument why, like, yeah, this is a combo, it gets a little samey, you know, and that's that's certainly a criticism of them, but finding out those particular commanders has been a real treat for me. I went to build a Teferi Temporal Archmage, the, uh, the Planeswalker Teferi, the, the mono blue one, and I was like, oh, Chain Veil seems fun, and then realized that, oh, Chain Veil goes infinite, and it was just, it, it blew my mind, and it just made me feel like I was getting better as a player to find those. So I really enjoy the commanders that accidentally combo I don't know, people wiser than me will immediately look at them and be like, well, that's busted. But when I see them, I see just a fun card and then later find out that, oh, this is actually broken. Those are my favorite types of combo cards. Mm-hmm. I don't active yeah. as a non-combo player, I, have, I don't have a lot of examples of this, and I'm not someone who seeks it out. But I do have one favorite that I, I did stumble across accidentally a few years back. And I must admit, it was just always a delightful combo to actually pull off i had a plus one counters deck that i was using mimeoplasm for the commander for so i i was i wanted to be in those particular colors but there wasn't a lot of commanders that cared about plus one counters so i was using the mimeoplasm because it got me the three things i wanted <laughs> one of the creatures i was running was obnixless unshackled who reads um, whenever an opponent searches his or her library that player sacrifices a creature and loses 10 life but the the relevant portion of that at least that i cared about was Whenever a creature dies, put a plus one counter on Omnixus Unshackled. So it was, you know, I'm doubling season out, I'm putting two counters on, I'm, you know, doing things to get counters on it. That was the primary concern. And if it happened to screw somebody over from using their fetch lands, well, that's that was great too. In addition to that, I was running Fertilid, which is a green creature <laughs> that enters the battlefield with, with two plus one counters on it. So so then my my you know, you can remove a counter and search your library for a basic land card and put it onto the battlefield. So my thought process again was, well, it interacts with plus one counter, so it comes in with two, and if I have doubling season, it goes to four, and I could, you know, harden scales to get more, proliferate to get more, and so I'll use that for one of my land ramp pieces um, so as it interacts with my deck. Unintentionally, as I'm playing these, I just happen to, like, look down one night and realize Fertilid doesn't say you may search your library for a basic land card. It says target player searches his or her library for a basic land card. Which means if you have Obnixilus out and you have Fertilid out, and Fertilid only oh, takes only takes two. Now I know why you guys were giggling. <laughs> now we got it. You can oh. force someone to search their library for a basic land card, in which point they have to sacrifice a creature and take 10 damage. And it's not a tap ability, so as long as there's counters in Fertilid to remove, you can use it repeatedly. So if you drop Fertilid with his counters and you've got some way to get more on there, you could just blow somebody or multiple somebody's up by forcing them to search for lands. I see That's now. That's so good. I, at first, when you guys started giggling, I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden it clicked. <laughs> and that, yep. Well, well played, Dana. Well played, sir. And, and That's every pretty time, awesome. like, I can distinctly picture every time the, the, the face of someone realizing what was happening to them as it happened when I did that. And I didn't, it didn't happen enough where I had both creatures out, but the times it did their faces are still fresh in my mind as they realize what was happening. It, I'm surprised you didn't go all in on that, Dana, because that, <laughs> that is what I like, like that, that, that look is what really makes me happy. <laughs> all right. I Matt, like do you have any uh, particular favorite combos? I like creature combos. So like I said, if people have a chance, like if I have to survive an entire, you know, round, you know, trip around the table, and then I untap and get to do something like I feel like I've given everybody a chance to do their thing. So 
Uh, just so you guys know, and I know I've said it a couple times, in Modern and Legacy, I play creature combos. I play a Lurin combo in Legacy, which is Parasitic Strix and Cavern Harpy, and then casting a bunch of spells or creature spells that ca- cost less than less than three. I can't talk today, whatever. Um, so bouncing <laughs> people around. In Modern, I play Bant Company, which is all about the uh, Devoted Druid, Vizier Remedies combo, and making you know an, a million million Walking Ballista. Uh, but for a while there, probably the most fun deck that I had was it was Ravos and Thrasios. So it was a uh, four color, and it was just every creature combo I could think of, I put into that deck. So it had the Alern combo in there. It had Kitchen Finks with Vizier with a sack outlet so I could gain infinite life. I could uh, My favorite combo, actually, that I actually played at several modern tournaments because it was just too fun not to, was I played Safi Eric's Daughter, with Renegade Rallor, which is probably one of my favorite cards to come out recently. A buddy of mine, actually, as soon as they got spoiled, he messaged me and said, Matt, Renegade Rallier, look it up right now. And it didn't disappoint. I love it. So, Safi Eric's Daughter with Renegade Rallier and Blasting Station. I played that in Modern and giggled my butt off whenever it, ha- whenever it got to work. So what happens is you sacrifice Safi Eric's Daughter to basically bring Renegade Rallier back whenever it dies. You activate Blasting Station, sacrifice the Renegade Rallier to deal one damage. So when Renegade Rallier dies, it comes back because you sacrifice Safirik's Daughter to save Renegade Rallier. So when Renegade Rallier comes back, you get the Revolt Trigger, where you get a permanent that costs two or less, puts back on the battlefield. So Renegade Rallier comes back. When it comes back into play, you get the Revolt Trigger, and then you also get to untap Blasting Station because whenever a creature enters the battlefield, you may untap Blasting Station. So all of a sudden, you just brought your whole table back and untapped Blasting Station, so you're starting fresh. So you just loop that infinitely and just gun down the whole table. That was something that I loved doing. Um, you can do it with, like I said, Kitchen Finks and, and Vizier of Remedies because it never gets that, that minus one, minus one counter. Yeah, I like going infinite That's creatures. That's pretty gross. Yeah, well, the, my favorite part, I was playing Soul Sisters in this modern tournament, and it was it was a IQ, I believe it was, for Star City Games. And I was playing Soul Sisters, and this guy was sitting at, like, 65 life, and I wasn't doing a whole lot of anything. And he, like, he looks at his friends, he's like, I don't really care what he's doing. I look, I'm at 65 life, he, like, he can't kill me. And I laughed, and he looked at me really confused, and two of my buddies were sitting next to me, and they smiled because I told them all about the deck. So they all like start grinning and like he he gets really confused, and then the next turn I draw my Safi and I already had my other two pieces out, and I comboed him out and the Soul Sisters guy who thought you know I'm untouchable I have all this life suddenly got comboed out like he walked away very quickly from the table. Ouch. You can also do something similar with the uh, Kirk Clan Ironworks uh, combo deck. You can, yeah, you can do KCI. I did something like that, and I had a Glissa the Trader deck that I, it kind of got parted out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it had all sorts of artifact loops with Scrap Trawler and all sorts of different fun things. Yeah, that was a really fun deck too, but anything, just creature combos, pe- you know, creatures lining up and synergizing well with each other, uh, those are the types of things that I like to do. Really awesome. There are a handful of combos, though, that some of us don't necessarily like uh, and i think largely they fall under the idea that i, I 
based on the conversation that we had previously, I think a lot of the combos that we tend not to like are the hyper-aggressive ones that people are tutoring immediately for to instantly win the game aggressively. For me, one of the combos that kind of, I don't know, rubs me the wrong way is Rest in Peace and Helm of Obedience. Are you guys familiar with this combo? I love that combo. <laughs> I well, don't run it, but it I love it. Yeah, I don't like it myself, but that's also probably because as a necromancer, I just have a grudge against anything Rest in Peace related. Rest in Peace is the two mana white enchantment that says when it enters the battlefield, exile all cards from graveyards. And if a card or token would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, instead it's exiled. Meanwhile, Helm of Obedience will mill people until a certain condition is met. It doesn't even matter what that condition is, because if you activate the Helm of Obedience while there's a Rest in Peace in play, your opponent can't have any cards put into their graveyard. So Helm of Obedience will just keep milling and milling and milling and milling until you have no cards left in your library. Everything just goes straight into exile. I think frequently when I see this combo, it's one of those aggressive styles that people are gunning immediately for, putting this onto the battlefield, and boom, just going for it. Although, you know, maybe my evaluation of their decks could be wrong and I'm just seeing it in a bit of a, a resentment light because of the way that it's been played against me. Either way, I just don't like my graveyard being exiled. So that combo, it's a little off for me. But, you know, you I can are still the resident see why people Golgari like it. player though, so I, I think you're a little biased. I'm definitely yeah, don't don't mess with my graveyard. That's all I ask. I just want to hug you with my delicious zombies. Joey, all I'm saying is that maybe you should start running Rift Sweeper. <laughs> it doesn't Rift Sweeper won't help me if I've been Helm of Obedience out of the game. It's very sad. I mean, Dana, are there specific Helm, Helmerator is pretty sweet. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I've I've also played that in many formats. <laughs> Dana, are there any specific combos that you're not necessarily as much a fan of? N not one specific one necessarily, but but that specific type of combo where the person just wins the game regardless of board state if there's no one with counter magic available. So they, it's it's just that kind of thing where it's an easy to assemble combo that requires two pieces that particularly if the cards themselves are ones that the person is running only for that combo. Um, and I talk about the, the Fertilid Obnix thing. I was running those cards particularly because they interacted with my deck and the combo piece happened to work there. The one like you're only running your you know, zealous conscripts to be a kiki-jiki target or something in a deck that's, you know, dragon tribal. That kind of thing always rubs me the wrong way, rightly or wrongly. Matt, we're looking at you there. Mr. <laughs> I'm going to run so, kiki-jiki combo in every single red-blue deck I can. I, I've only built one combo deck in blue and red, and it did have kiki-jiki and splinter twin in there, so yeah. <laughs> but I, I think you guys are missing the correct answer because there is actually a correct answer on the least favorite combo to play against and that's the one where the person doesn't know how the combo works oh god yeah um, oh. that that is the correct answer and, and I've played against that person which is also probably the reason that I don't like the protean hulk combo because there's so many moving pieces and when you sit there and they fumble around and miss the triggers you're like that's not how it works Again, that's not how, like, it, it, you know it's true because there was an old, old Cardboard Crack comic that, you know, the first slide was, okay, I have my combo, do you concede? And the person's like, no, play it out. And then the next frame again is, okay, here's my combo, do you concede? And then the next frame is, you don't really know how the combo works, do you? And then the, the last slide is, 
I have my combo. Do you do you concede? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty rough. If you're going to play combo, do so delicately. Well, there's a yes. really just, famous um, video. There, there's a th- video you can find on Facebook of um, LSV talking about playing in a tournament with a combo deck where he forgot to put in his combo piece. So he, oh, that's right. So he, His uh, tendrils of agony. Yeah. Yep. So he had to basically bluff his way through the tournament, um, in very carefully phrasing things like, and people folded without asking. You know, in his case, obviously, like he's not going to mess up the combo, so you probably scoop all the time. But that, that story cracks me up because he basically just bluffed his way through a, a tournament to a top eight finish without his combo piece in the deck. Whoops. How about you, Patrick? Are there any specific combos that you as the combo corner master are kind of like, eh, I don't think I'll write about that one. Are any I, that stand out to you? Yeah, honestly, it's the Sanguine Bond uh, uh, comp. Exquisite yeah, Blood? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. That I, I, it's very uninspiring to me. It, it, it's, it's a very effective, and uh, my play group lived in fear of our Loro player because he still runs it to this day. And he loves his Aloro deck, but we've all adapted to it. But it's it's very one note in terms of what it does, and you just need to get the two pieces out and just gain or gain a life, or somebody loses a life. It is, however, very impressive for them to play the combo and then have the entire t- the entire table to look at each other. And all agree not to gain or lose any life until somebody draws an answer and the Laurel player doesn't have anything. That is one of the things about combos. They can, uh, if they're too transparent, they can turn the whole table against you. Oh, yeah. And frankly, even though we spent a brief moment here talking about combos that maybe don't really, you know, tickle our fancy, I don't think it's necessarily the case that, like, these combos are inherently like boring or dumb or whatever. Like there are a lot of different pathways to playing this game. And like I mentioned earlier, when you're at the helm of a combo deck, you might realize some nuances that you didn't, you know, you didn't initially see when you were just staring at it from across the table. And more to the point, like a lot of folks, they'll find out these combos with like, they'll have just discovered it. And they don't necessarily know that some of these combos are things that people have already been plotting out for quite a while now. I mean, heck, we just introduced Matt to the Obnixilis Fertilid combo here a second ago. He'd never seen that before. And a lot of new players, when they're brewing and they just find like, wait, Helm of Obedience and Rest in Peace does what now? Like, that's really exciting for them. So don't poo-poo combos too much because... Usually when people discover them, I mean, that's really awesome. They are growing as a magic player, so we shouldn't, you know, stomp on them for the new thing that they found that they're really excited to try just because we've seen it already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the big thing is just play play what makes you happy. Like, like, like I've said a couple times, you know, we talked about when, you know, Andrew Cummings was on a couple episodes, like he and I, our play group, it turned into an arms race real quick and everything turned into combo decks that's fine. We kind of had to step back and evolve. And, you know, there's a phase for everything. There's a time and a place. Like, this isn't to say you should never, ever play combo decks. Like, if your buddies like doing that, then do it. Because you're going to get to play more games that way. And ultimately, that's that's really the point. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a good right. point. For sure. Okay, last up, let's challenge some statistics. Dana, how about you start us off by talking about a card that maybe deserves to see less play than it currently enjoys. Or deserves to see more play than it currently enjoys. Sure. Um, and, and this is a card I am guilty of complaining about the, the problem it solves and not rectifying that problem with this card. So I am just as guilty of this as anyone. 
Um, and it is a blue enchantment named, creatively enough, Steel Enchantment. For, for double blue, you can gain control of target enchantment. And why this is, it's in 394 decks in EDH Rex, so it's in under 400 decks. Um, blue is a color that doesn't have many ways short of counter spells to deal with enchantments. And, you know, blue frequently being paired with red and black, two colors that also don't have ways to deal with enchantments or even Grixis. Steel enchantment for two blue, unlike a bounce spell where that enchantment can be recast, fairly often... If you steal it with steel enchantment, it's just no longer a problem. It doesn't work for everything. It doesn't work for, you know, an, an aura on a creature or something necessarily. But, like, when that token player plays a doubling season when you were tapped out and they're going to start doing broken things with it next turn, well, maybe you want that doubling season. Or when someone plays that, you know, Frexian Arena that they're drawing from every turn and you don't have any card draw, maybe that Frexian Arena would look better on your side of the field. So I think for two mana, I, I can't think of very many times I've looked around a board and not seen something that for two mana, I'd want to take. That's a really cool pick. I'm not really familiar with Steel Enchantment, but it, the lo- I think your logic's pretty solid right there. There's always something out there that I'm like, Ugh, I wish they didn't have that. And me having it is a way of them not having it. Right. That's an awesome pick. Matt, what's your challenging this stat? So my challenge of stats comes from getting to play again this weekend. Uh, like I said, uh, I was playing my Shu Yun tokens deck, and it's all about spell slinging and making tokens and Locust God and stuff like that, which was fun. And I was playing Frantic Search and drew a bunch of cards, untapped a bunch of lands. But I was looking at that, and that deck, you know, or Frantic Search, that's played in almost 10,000 decks already, which it's played quite a bit. Um, but a, kind of a parallel on something that I also loved it was great early, it's great late, and then I you know, was kind of researching the card a little bit, and it just kind of seemed weird that Patrick's coming on, but it's a great in-combo deck because it helps find you your combo. Uh, Careful Study is a card that's only played in 1,684 decks. It is a blue sorcery for just one blue mana, and it just reads, draw two cards, then discard two cards from your hand. So it's just a quick loot two, but something like that, it's... You can do it on turn one. It gets your game plan going. If you're a reanimator type deck and you're playing blue, it's great because it puts everything in your deck. Uh, yes, it your is. Hand. Yeah, it's it's just a great early card. Like everybody talks about how, you know, I want as many cards in my hand as possible. But there's a lot of decks that I can think of. Like my Moldrotha deck probably would love this card. Um, I can't play Faithless Looting because I don't have red. So instead, I'll just play Careful Study. It's only, like I said, it's only played in 1,684 decks. Uh, there's enough decks out there that want to draw cards, want to find their combo pieces, they want to get some combo pieces in the graveyard. Uh, that number probably should be higher for a single blue man. That's a really, really great pick. I like that a lot. Patrick, well, how about you? <laughs> okay, so I have a, uh, I have a card that is actually going to go under uh, Dana's 300-some cards with a uh, little ditty called Barrel Down Sokuzan. It has a keyword on it that is only on four cards, and it is two and a red for an instant arcane. The keyword being sweep. Can anybody tell me what sweep does? I remember you, yes, it's terrible. you played this in Vegas, and, and I wasn't in the game, but I was next <laughs> to the game, and I just remember like multiple people commenting on how absurd... And dumb that keyword was, but in this one weird narrow place that I don't remember what it was, it was magnificent. <laughs> All right, so 
The keyword is sweep, and the text reads, return any number of mountains you control to their owner's hand. And then barrel down uh, Sokuzen uh, deals damage to target creature equal to twice the number of mountains returned this way. It's only in 112 decks. I think it should probably be closer to like 200 decks. Um <laughs> <laughs> Really strong stance there. Like double. Okay, so sweep in general, the other three sweep cards are not great. It's not even a full cycle, which kind of irks me. So you know, you just return lands with a with a type. But the but the the fun thing is, you run uh, Blood Moon or Magus of the Moon, uh, and then you return all of your you know non basic lands to your hand. And if you're running something like Borborygmos enraged, like in my angry Bobo deck. Oh, now I'm following. Yeah, so so I I ramped as hard as I could, and got all of my lands out, and now I have all my lands in my hand, and then they're all at people's faces, and then they're all in my graveyard. <laughs> okay, now I'm following because angry Borborygmos enraged person, he can throw lands from your hand at people in the form of lightning bolts. So putting it back in your hand, that's a really clever play, actually. I like that a lot. Or you, you, can, you, play, me. you can play with Omnath and do your Valakut triggers or you I don't can, know, just a way yeah, for... Landfall I, in I, general. I, yeah, it's, it's, I, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I'm just stuttering through my thought process <laughs> of trying to figure out, like, man, I could play this in Valduk and it gives you some reach. And you could play it in Omnath and get landfall triggers and Valakut triggers and, I, yeah, like I'm just brainstorming to myself like all the all the decks I could play this in. Well, it doesn't it doesn't hit faces, but it does hit creatures really hard. <laughs> yeah, well, I just like it. You found a really clever piece there. Like, oh, here's one weird deck that especially wants lands in your hand so that it can throw people. It can throw lands at people. Like, that's just crazy. And here's one really obscure card that totally belongs in that strategy. So, kudos. Yeah, and, and like I said, it is. It isn't for every deck, and it's not like Borborygmos and Rage is the most popular deck in the world. But Omnath is very popular and. How many times, uh, like, in a very late game, do you just need to get some, just a little bit more reach? It's probably fairly often, yeah. and you're out of, like, basic mountains in your in your deck. You need something, you need a little bit more. And this is a great way to, to, to extend um, your, your, your red, red uh, tendencies in that deck. That's awesome. That's a, a really cool, definitely niche, but really cool card for sure. For my challenging the stats this week, I'm going to be going with the card Stubborn Denial, and I hope I don't sound like I'm going to get on too much of a soapbox here, but this one really befuddles me. So Stubborn Denial is actually a one-mana counterspell that no one seems to be playing. It's only currently showing up in 1,988 decks, and I mean, that's a respectable amount. But let's take a look at some other counter spells like Negate, which shows up in 18,177, and Swan Song, 21,921 decks. That's a lot. And in fact, we've discussed them on a previous podcast when Dana chose Swan Song and Negate and Counterspell and all of them as part of a head-to-head -head segment. What's fascinating to me, though, is that people aren't giving as much credence to Stumber Denial, because in fact, I think that in many cases, it's better than both Negate and Swansong. Stumber Denial itself is a one-mana blue instant that says counter-target non-creature spell unless its controller pays one mana. 
doesn't sound great. But here's the thing, it's got Ferocious. If you control a creature with power 4 or greater, you counter that spell instead. So, if you've got Ferocious, just a creature that has 4 power, you can counter target non-creature spell for 1 mana. That is a better negate. Yes, there's a condition on it, but Stubborn Denial can be a better negate. More importantly, Swansong is a card that only counters an instant, a sorcery, or an enchantment. And it has a lot of clout around it for sure. Swansong is super famous, but it has an actual specific niche of things that it can counter. It can't, for example, counter a Planeswalker or an Artifact. And it also has the reward that it gives to the person playing it. It's a one-mana counterspell, it's super efficient, but it also gives someone a flying blocker, which can kind of get in your way. Whereas Stummer Denial is a one-mana counter anything if you've met that condition. That is a significant condition, but not really. Here's the thing. Let's take a look at the actual commanders on their own that meet the condition of four power or greater. If we do a quick gatherer search or a scryfall search, we can see that there are... 103 commanders that do meet the qualification of having four or greater power just on their own. Meanwhile, there are 58 commanders that don't. And these are, of course, I'm talking about blue commanders specifically that do or do not meet this qualification. There are 103 commanders in blue, blue adjacent, mono blue, anything like that, such as, you know, Atraxa, which have four or more power, versus 58 blue inclusive commanders that don't have four more power, but some of them include things like Ishai, which gets bigger, or Animar, which gets bigger. I have just always found that whenever I need to cast a counterspell, it's because I have a good board state. It's because I have a lot of things in play that I'm trying to protect. So Stubborn Denial has been better than Negate and Swansong in my experience, because frequently I'm using it to counter something like a Wrath of God. I definitely think that people need to give Stubborn Denial a lot more credence here, because and does it put in work and it doesn't give other people a flying 2-2 blocker. Um, I agree with it, that pick. Yeah, and, and I run it in one of my decks. I run it in my Sphinx Tribal deck where every creature in the deck meets the qualification. So it's not even my commander in that case. It's literally pretty much... I think it's. I think I have one of my 20 creatures that doesn't have the um, Ferocious trigger on it. But like, how many decks are there like that? You know, the Ur-Dragon or even Sign of the Ur-Dragon... Every dragon in your deck is going to meet that qualification. Yeah, exactly. It's totally crazy, but it only sees play in like 10% as many decks as Swansong. And Swansong is excellent. One mana counter spells, I'm definitely trying to tell you, like, those are good. But here's another one that people are totally overlooking. You know what? I think I know why. Was that? It was because it was in uh, the uh, Battle for Zendikar block. It was a much a maligned set. People just don't want to. Uh, Ferocious was definitely. Was oh, you're right. It was cons. Oh my god. Which That's was okay. Very I always, yeah, I always think of that one. Uh, I confuse that one with the the devoid spell with the uh, with the dust cumble coming out of the guy's mouth. Mm. Uh, Gross. Yeah. It's a counter spell. I promise. Horribly awry. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Alrighty. Do you guys have any uh, last-minute tips and tricks and uh, any last-minute thoughts about playing combos? Nothing for me in particular. Um, it is something that I think over the years my stance on combo has changed. It's not my thing. It's not something I love, but I recognize kind of like what you said, Joey. It's not always the uh, easy-peasy win that it maybe seems like when you're on the other side of the field. Game's got to end. I have nothing... Yeah, game's got to end. 
<laughs> I mean, that's 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 a truth of the matter. I mean, how many times have you been in like a like a two to two and a half hour game, and everybody just looks dead behind the eyes? Well, if there was a <laughs> combo player there, they could just draw into it <laughs> and finish the game. And everyone would thank them. That's the kind of place I like to live. And I definitely like games that have every player pulling in different directions. Combos especially can provide a kind of a ticking time bomb on the game, and that adds a really fun dynamic to the play experience for me. And listeners, if you want to find out more about really crazy cookie combos that you can go try out for yourselves, you should definitely give Patrick's Combo Corner article series a read on EDH Rec. It's really fascinating, and he goes pretty in-depth there to help walk you through how those combos work and where you can be prepared to see them across the table from you. With that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me, and Patrick, you as well. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? You can find Matt the Talent Morgan on Twitter <laughs> at... At Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. Check out the EDHRECcast at gmail.com if you want to shoot us an email. um, Follow us on Twitter and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, You can find me, Dana the Talent Adjacent, on Twitter, at Dana Roach. (laughs) And and you can also uh, hear me once a week on Commander Central. Uh, I'm, I'm Patrick. Uh, I'm on Commander Time, and I do Combo Corner, and this is kind of like my intro, but uh, you can find <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Detective Yarmus. That's a uh, D E T E C T I V E Y A R M A S. And I'm Joey, the deeply embarrassed. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can follow EDH Rec and EDH Rec Cast on Facebook and Twitter. We're also doing a giveaway when EDH Rec gets 5,000 likes and when EDH Rec Cast gets 1,000 followers on Twitter. So head on over there, smash those like buttons, and you get a chance at a really cool prize. You can contact us at EDHRECCast at gmail.com and find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast. You can follow Commander Time on Twitter and check them out on YouTube. You can also, as Dana mentioned, check out CMDRC central at podcast over there where he indeed had patrick on as a guest before us so definitely beat us to the punch but patrick we're really glad that we got to have you on this week this podcast is posted every week on edhrex community content spotlight section where we feature as many other content creators as we can from command zone to commander's brew to commander versus to commander time not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck I definitely stumbled over that. <clears throat> this is why you're not the talent. <laughs> Nor talent adjacent, apparently. Please don't keep that. No, don't keep that. Don't make fun of me.